a man and his wife were enjoying, uh, each of them were enjoying a glass of wine after work one day on their patio. The woman said to the man, I love you and I don't think I could ever live without you. The man said, is that you talking or the wine talking? And the woman said, it's me and I'm talking to the wine. <laughs> um, I'm an abstainer, just so you know, and this message isn't about alcohol. But I want you to know I love that story because that woman was so passionate about wine. She loved wine. What's a fun conversation is when you get together with people is what are you passionate about? A lot of times you don't even have to ask that. People are already kind of letting you know what they're passionate about. Russ is passionate about the Green Bay Packers. Uh, and I think that I have a lot of friends like that and I see why. Um, but everybody kind of wears their passions in some way, shape or form and it's easy to pick up on them if you got your radio antenna up. Fun conversation, what are you passionate about? Now we're in church, I wanna ask you that question. What are you passionate about? Because we're in church, you'd be tempted to lie. <laughs> because we're in church, you'd be tempted to say, I'm passionate about God, I'm passionate about my family, I'm passionate about you know serving, all the different things that you might be tempted to say because we're actually in church. But if we could spend some time together you would see what I'm passionate about, and I would see what you're passionate about, whether, regardless of all the different ways that we do this, but with three, what I call three C's. If you know somebody's three C's, if you see these three C's active in their life, I would argue that's what you're passionate about. These three C's tell us what people are passionate about. The first one would be your calendar. What gets into your calendar tells me what you like. Now, there's some stuff in our calendar that maybe we don't like, but I'm talking about those moments when we don't have to be at work. I'm talking about those moments when we don't have to do something for our family. It's something that maybe with some discretionary time. You look at somebody's calendar, and I'll tell you what that person is passionate about, but you also got to look at the other two C's. Not just the calendar, but I would add the checkbook or your credit card or your cash, whatever you want to call it. That C, money, that C. You show me what you spend money on, I will show you what you're passionate about, especially if it's on something that's in your calendar, your calendar and your checkbook. But lastly, I would include this C, your calendar, your checkbook, and then your conversations. Jesus said, what comes out of our mouth is coming out of our mouth because it starts at our heart. So from, from the heart, the mouth speaks. It's interesting. What, what do you find yourself talking about? We all have to have conversations about stuff. We have to have conversation, but I'm talking about when you get to talk about something, what do you love to talk about? I guarantee you in the next store over, there are some very, is it cheerleading or dance? I don't know, whatever it is, but there are some very passionate people about such things. And, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's a passion of people. Music may be a passion, whatever it may be. But you know, let's just pause for a moment just to see what the three fake answers were. God, my family, 
right? Those kinds of things. Do those even make it into your checkbook? Do those even make it into your conversation? Do those even make it into your calendar? Okay, I'll give you the calendar because you're here at church on Sunday morning. All right, I'll give you that one. All right. But what about when you're not here? Does time with God make it into your calendar? You show me what those three, C, three C's seem to indicate about you, and I'll show you what you're really passionate about, not what you think you're passionate about. Because this is what we do all the time. We always say, I know what my priorities are, but then guess what? We never date our spouse. We say we're passionate about you know, this, this particular person in our life. Or we say we're going to you know, really invest in our children, and, and what happens? Just things, life takes us over. I want to challenge you Think about what you're passionate about. Maybe the question, though, isn't just what we're passionate about. That's a fun question. So if you're asking questions today when you go to lunch, hey, what are we passionate about? Well, here's a better question. What would our three C's say we're really passionate about? See where that, see where it, follow those things and see if you can say, yeah, this is what this is saying about us. But here's, here's, a, here's a better question if you ask me. And the reason I say it's a better question, because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, are you ready? Watch this now. If you claim, maybe you don't, but if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe the better question isn't what I'm passionate about. Maybe the better question might be is, what would Jesus, what does God want us to be passionate about? Well, you think, well, that, that's interesting, but what if what I'm passionate about and what, God, uh, what God's passionate about are two different things? Isn't that fascinating? Right away, we like the kind of Christianity, I want you to hear this, we like the kind of Christianity that lets us do whatever we want. And when I read the Bible, I see that following Jesus doesn't necessarily include my, doesn't necessarily exclude my passions, but some of the times I think we're so busy trying to follow our own desires rather than giving up what we have and following Jesus. And I want to tell you, I've met people who play church and religion and have been so serious about all the trappings of church, they have missed following Jesus. You, that can happen to any of us. Churchianity is alive and well. Following Jesus, not so popular because he's not worried about your best life now. He's not worried about you. He's, he, this is what he wants. So many people, this is American Christianity. Watch. This is what we've done to it. We've perverted it. It's weird. God, I want to do whatever I want, and I'm just going to add a little bit of you into it. I'm just going to bring you into it, especially the more spiritual it sounds, the better off it is. I get to do whatever I want. Well, I just want to challenge you to think about this for a moment because God is God. You and I are not. And it's a beautiful day when we understand that asking God to bless our plans, this is what we do. Here's my plans, God. I want to do X, Y, Z. Bless me, bless me, bless me. And God says, well, listen, I don't want to be in your plans. I want you to be in mine. And by the way, if you ever scrap your plans and get on board with mine, you'll be surprised how much joy you have in your life. You'll be surprised how much passion you have in your life. You'll be surprised how all of a sudden God begins to transform all your seas, and you'll say, what was I holding on to to begin with? I've got great news for us. God has not left us wondering what he wants us to be passionate about today. Would you... 
are you scared to know now? Like, well, how much is this going to cost me? It's going to cost you everything. It really will. Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. Watch. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, it is the last week of Jesus' life. He's in Jerusalem, and they want to kill him. <laughs> Who's they? Sinners? No. Who? Religious people. Watch out for those religious people. They want to kill Jesus. And they are sick and tired of him, man. He, he is really challenging them. He loves them like crazy, but he, they, want to, they want to kill Jesus. And look what it says in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law, and this is, these are these religious people. It's fascinating because the whole, if you want to read a great chapter, Mark chapter 12 would be an awesome chapter because, you know, all these different people are taking their, their shots at Jesus. They got all, they're trying to trick him so that they can like, kill him. That's really what they want to do. They're trying to trick him. And so they're asking all these weird questions, and Jesus, by the way, never get into a theological, here's a little tip today, never get into a theological debate with Jesus, because he will chop you off at the knees, man. He wrote the Bible. He understands the Bible, and I'm telling you, with our human understanding, we won't. And look what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Pause. I just think we need to get back to debating. Here's how it works on Facebook. I think this. Well, I think this. Well, you're an idiot. That's not debating. We've lost this whole idea of how to debate. You debate ideas, and you don't attack somebody's character ad hominem because you want to figure out what's, look at their viewpoint for a moment. And I love that Jesus debated. See, in this culture, we don't know how to debate. We actually, anybody who debates is intolerant. I'm like, well, what if you're really searching for the truth? Let's just have a conversation. You take your side, I'll take mine. Let's just figure it out together, right? Jesus is debating. And he, he noticed that, the, that he had given the previous group, the Sadducees, a good answer. And he asked this question. And all these questions really are just trick questions. He, uh, but I love this question. It's a man asking Jesus this question. Of all the commands, which one is the most important one? Can I tell you why I love that? Because Jewish people took the Old Testament... And they divvied up all the commandments and they put them into 600, they codified the Old Testament into 613 things that you got to do. I got great news. I am not giving you 613 things you got to do today. I just, I, seriously, that's what they did with the Old Testament. Now watch this. Then their greatest joy was to debate which one of the 613 things is the most important. Well, first of all, that's what I want to know because that's a man question. I mean, gender speaking, that's a man question. Because I look at 613 things and this is what I do. I, I don't know where to go with that. So I want to know out of all the commands, I want to try to get the most important one right. And the idea here in this question is if you get the most important one right, the other ones will take care of themselves. I love this. In a day and age when everything looks like it's important, which one is the most important one? I think this is a man question because men can only really do one thing at a time. <laughs> a woman, and I've got six daughters, by the way. I've got six daughters. That's not bragging, that's a prairie quest. <laughs> and a son who left me as soon as he could from that house because I've got hair and drama in my house everywhere, right? I just want to watch women they are great at doing a bunch of things at once. My wife explained this to me one day, why men can only do one thing at, at a time and women can do a bunch of things at a time. 
I know this is a generalization, but I think it's generally true. She said she was listening to the radio. Some expert on Christian radio was talking about how God forms a male child in the mother's womb. The thing that makes a male child when God's forming it in the mother's womb is this, this is what my wife told me, there's this shot of testosterone that goes into the brain and kills the brain cells. (laughs) Thus making it a male child. (laughs) My wife announced to me, you all have brain damage. And it's true, it's, to a certain degree I think we do. Whereas a woman has all that thing working for her up on that head, I mean, she's really good at all that stuff, right? So it's interesting to me, there's a man asking Jesus, which one is the most important one? And by the way, sometimes Jesus answers these debates. Sometimes he actually, you know, the Jewish thing that a rabbi would do, and Jesus was the ultimate rabbi, is people would ask him a question and he would answer the question with a question. But not this time, look what he does. You want, me, you want to know? I'll tell you. The most important one answered Jesus is this. Shema Israel. Adonai Elheinu. Adonai Echad. And instantly, that's Hebrew. I wasn't speaking in tongues. That's Hebrew. I was speaking in the Hebrew tongue. Now watch this. Instantly, every Jewish person would have recognized this. Where, does anybody know where this came from? In the Bible. Anybody know where in the Bible? Deuteronomy, you are a Bible ninja, ma'am. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's a part of a thing called the Shema. Here's some Hebrew for you. Say, Shema. Wow. You know what you just said? Hear. Hear. But but, you know, like when you're talking to your kids, hey, do you hear me? You're not saying, is my voice traveling to your ears? No, you're saying, are you listening to me? And Shema means not only to hear, but it means to listen and obey. Hear, O Israel. Hear, Shema, O Israel. And immediately, everybody would have recognized this as a part of a th- three passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. A Jewish person in Jesus' day said every morning and said every evening. And it was a part of the Shema. Two in Deuteronomy, one in the book of Numbers. They had memorized this since they were little, little kids. This is the, you notice when a Jewish baby was born, the first words whispered into that baby's ear. Brand new baby. The rabbi pulls the baby close and whispers, Shema Israel, Adonai Elheinu, Adonai Akkad. And from that moment on, that kid hears these words morning and evening. Every, and then as they grow, they recite this passage morning and evening every day of their life. It was their mission statement. It was the Jewish mission statement. It said, this is why we are here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the one and only. And then he goes on quoting Deuteronomy 6. Look what it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. You guys, this isn't a four-part sermon. We look at a passage like that, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Excellent. Four points. No, 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 no. You don't understand. To dissect this in the Hebrew mindset is to ruin it. All he is saying is everything you have. That's all he's saying. You can't take it apart. Now, how do you love God with your mind? How do you love God with your story? No, no. You love God with all that you have. And once you understand that that's a complete thing, then that shows up in your finances. That shows up in your health. That shows up in your various parts of your life. Look what it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second, wait a minute. How many did they ask for? Which one? 
But then Jesus says, I don't think you religious people are going to get this. Because if you ask a religious person in Jesus' day, if you ask them, do you love God? They would say, yes. And then you would say, well, how do you love God? They would say, well, we go to church and uh, we tithe and we pray and we fast and we never miss a uh, Passover. And you know, they would say all these religious things they do. Friends, this is what the debate was about in Jesus' day. Almost all of the rabbis said, we're pretty sure what the most important one is. And, but Jesus says, you want to know what the second one is. You want to see where I fall in this debate. And Jesus says, here's where I fall. The second is this. Look what it says. Love your neighbor as yourself. This, my friends, is not from Deuteronomy. This is Leviticus 19.18. Jesus, watch what Jesus does. They call this stringing pearls. Rabbis would do this. They would find a verse that talked about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then they would reach over to another part of the Bible and they would grab another verse that explained what that meant. Jesus says, I validate. We are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then Jesus says, and the way you do that best... Leviticus 19.18, you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus marries these two concepts. You cannot claim you love God when you hate somebody else. It is inconceivable. It's incongruent. Jesus says, no, to love God by definition means you love other people. Pause. Can we have a moment of real honesty? Because I know the kids are learning today to tell the truth in the children's ministry. Let's have a tell the truth moment in the adult ministry here. Are you ready? Who can be honest with me? How many of you love God? Raise your hand. How many of you struggle to love everybody? Raise your hand. How many are you seated next to that person right now? Do not raise your hand. But do you see what I'm saying? We all want to sign up to say we love God, but what happens? It's way harder to love God the way he's, Jesus actually understands this. The way you love God is you love people. That's when we are at our best in loving God Almighty. When his love inflows into our life and we love even the people who drive us crazy, right? We all have people like that. You ever wonder why, no matter what church you go to, you always got somebody in your life who drives You ever wonder why? Somebody in your family always drives you nuts. You ever wonder why somebody at work, always somebody there who drives you nuts? You ever wonder why somebody moves into your neighborhood and they drive you nuts? You know why? Because God is trying to teach you the most important thing, that you cannot love somebody on your own power, and you're going to need a lot of Jesus in your life so that you can do that. And then he says, and here's the bullseye. you got to love God. And you, wouldn't you just love to go to church, just raise your hands and go home? Hey, I love God today. No, Jesus said, that's not, you love God best by loving people. Don't, is it in there? Look at what Jesus did. Don't, doesn't Jesus mess with your head? It's probably a good thing because if some of us think we got Jesus in our pocket. Jesus is always gonna challenge us. So what does Jesus want us to be passionate about? Look what it says. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is this, love your neighbor yourself. There is no, that's what he says, there is no command greater than these. You know what, there's a parallel passage in Matthew 22, the same story, but here's how Jesus ends it. 
the whole law and the prophets, that's Jesus' way of saying the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament hangs on these two verses. I don't know, some of you tried to read the Bible, you get to Leviticus, and you figure, I can't, what the heck, I can't even relate to that, right? Jesus thinks the whole Old Testament is about loving God and loving people. The whole Old Testament hangs on those two commands. All right, somebody's going to ask you, hey, what'd you learn today when you went to church? I hope you say, love God, love people, but what I'd like you to do is stand up right where you're at if you're able to and just humor me for a moment. Oh, yeah, stand up. It's okay. Right? Don't be afraid. This is the part where we get our hands moving. Did you know that Aristotle believed in order for the mind to be engaged, the body had to be moving? So we're going to get our bodies moving. Are you ready? I want, somebody's going to say, what'd you learn today? And I want you to tell them this. Say love. Go like this. Go love. Say it out loud. Love, capital T, the Lord. See the L? Does that look like an L to you? Your L has to, very good, sir. Your L has to come over this way. Ready? This way for you, over there. Ready? Try it again. Say love, the Lord. Say it louder. Love, the Lord, your God, W, with, see the W, with all your and with some of you will get that later and with and with Nice. Okay, hold it. There's two. Because we can't just stop there because Jesus says to love God means we love people. The second is this. Love. Just put your hand on somebody's shoulder. But remember, not everybody likes to be touched. (laughs) Try it again. Love your neighbor. Capital A. One more time. Love did you hear it go up? I mean, does it, when, you go, when you reach out to touch someone, you just go, kumbaya. I mean, doesn't that, it's a, I mean, the energy, right? Love your All right, last time. Here we go. Ready? From beginning. Somebody walks up to you. Go to church today? Yeah, what'd you learn? You're going to get all ninja. Here we go. Ready? Love the Good. And with all your soul. And with all your mind. And with all good. Love. High five somebody next to you. Sit down. Tell them way to go. Yeah. So here's the question. I mean, I love Jesus because Jesus goes, this is the bullseye. You need to love God so much that it inflows in your life, overflows to people. And I'm talking about sometimes, like the hardest people to love are the people, you know, like later on, one of the stories of this is, who's my neighbor? That way I don't have to deal with this. And Jesus says, everybody's your neighbor. Everybody's your neighbor. 
Paul says it this way over and over in his epistles. I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what? Your love for all the saints. I like some of the saints, maybe even most of the saints, but I'm having a hard time getting to all, right? This just means I need to keep growing, but God couldn't be more clear about what he wants us to be passionate about. Loving God, loving, you know what's crazy? If you and I walk out of this church, and by the way, the real test of what happens at church is what happens when we walk out of church. Right? Because it's easy to be a Christian for an hour here. The real test is what happens out there. Are we gonna love God and love people out there? It's so crazy because if we could all live like that, here's what happens. We love God and love people. We help someone else love God and love people. And eventually we help them help someone else love God and love people. I don't know what you think disciple making is. It's not a program. It's not a series of booklets. It's not whatever. Those things aren't bad. That's not disciple making. Jesus gave us a way of life that we are to spread to others. And it's as simple as you going home and loving God and loving people helping them love God and love people, and helping them help love God and love people. When you get three generations, you have a disciple-making movement. This is how we change the world. Not by shouting louder on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever your favorite social media is. I'm not against being loud on any of those things, but I'm telling you, I don't want to be nauseating. I think we need to think about how do we really love people with God's love. But before we do that, let's ask this. Well, whatever make us want to love God? Ever thought about that? All of my kids, and I have seven, all of my kids are sinners. It's unbelievable. Brian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? I mean, they are all sinners. It's uncanny. All of my kids have their mother's sin nature. Unbelievable. <laughs> Just ridiculous how that she passed that down right to them <laughs> with a little help from me, right? Now watch this. It's crazy. I don't think we're born into this world loving God. Put your finger here, but flip over to 1 John 4. I never did, uh, I forgot to let you know that I was going to go here. But let me just say one verse to you, all right? Watch this, because this answers that question. What would ever cause us to love God? Watch. 1 John 4, 19. We love, can you finish this for me? We love because he first loved us. Say it with me. We love because he first loved me, right? You know what? Isn't that just like God? I'm here today because um, if it weren't for God, I would either be dead, in jail, at a minimum hung over, at a minimum today. And when I think about how God got a hold of me and how he, he loved me first, there's only one thing left to do. And you know what that is? That's to love him back. And I'll just give you a little glimpse. Someday I'll like come back and tell you the whole story, but I'll give you a little glimpse. I'm here today because of a mother. <laughs> Duh. I'm here today because of a mom who, after she divorced my father because he was an angry drunk and beat her, almost killed her, she ended up uh, working at a tavern as a bartender, and then it was at that bar where my mother's friend, who was also a single mom, trying to make a living, living the party life, 
went away to her sister's. Her name was Jerry. My mom's friend was Jerry who worked at that tavern with her. She went to visit her sister because she had time, time away on a vacation but didn't have any money. So she, went, she took her kids to, and, her, and spent two weeks with her sister out of state. But her sister had recently accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And for two weeks she told Jerry, my mom's friend, all about Jesus. And Jerry was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm hearing about... I mean, I came here to get away, and here I have got Jesus now. Jesus everywhere. My sister's a Jesus freak. But by the end of that time, she had accepted Christ as her Savior. She had started reading the Gospel of John, and then she went, listen to this. She came back to that tavern. She announced to my mom and everybody else in that tavern, I'm quitting. The boss said, you can't quit. What'd you do, find a new job? You've got to give me at least two weeks' notice. And she said, well, fine, I'll give you two weeks' notice. I'm putting it in right now. But every time somebody in this tavern asked me why I'm quitting, I'm telling them about Jesus. And they said, go ahead, but you've got to give us two weeks. And that that tavern became a ministry center run by the Reverend Jerry. <laughs> it was awesome. My mom was so mad at her. This was my mom's best friend. She didn't want anything to do with her anymore because Jerry could only talk about Jesus. And when my mom said that two weeks were done, she said, that's glad I'll never have to deal with Jerry again. But Jerry began to come over to our, I grew up in the projects. Jerry began to come over to the projects where we lived and she would knock on our little apartment and we would, as a kid, I would hide. My, she told my, my mom would tell my sister and I'd just pull the shades and close the doors. Just act like you're not home. In the last 37 years of my life, I've been to a lot of homes on pastoral calls and I want to say something to you all. We know you're in there. <laughs> and I think Jerry knows, knew we were in there. You know what I'm saying? One day, I mean, this happened like two or three times, uh, you know, a week. She'd be coming over, coming over, going to, care, always carrying her Bible. We didn't know what it was. She had a little black book, carrying her Bible. And one day she got to the door before we could close it. And my mom literally said, she said, let's let Jerry in. Let's hear what she has to say and then ask her to leave because this woman is pestering us like crazy. So let's just get her in and out. That day, Jerry had only been a Christian about a month. That day, Jerry sat down at our table. My mom and Jerry, boy, they could talk. They were really good friends. A lot of talking going on, drinking coffee. They both smoked. That day, my mom heard the story about how Jesus Christ died on the cross for her sin. And by receiving Christ as her Savior, she could have a new life. And she asked Jerry one question. Jerry, you know how bad I've been. My mom would tell you she broke every one of the Ten Commandments except thou shalt not kill. That's the only one. She said, Jerry, you know how bad I've been. Can God save someone like me? And I want you to hear the theology of a smoking evangelist. <laughs> she said, Porky, because that's my mom's nickname. I come from a very earthy family. She said, Porky. She said, God, Jesus loves to save people like us because we know we're broken. Right? My mom said, Something in her heart leapt and believed it. She grabbed onto that. I'm here to tell you, these many, many years later, I know where my mother is this morning. She's at our little Baptist church in our little town, and I guarantee you she's probably cooking some food or leading the Bible study. That's who she is. I'm here to tell you, we got a front row seat, my stepfather said, quote, the most changed woman he's ever seen. We got a front row seat to see what would happen, and it was just a matter of time before that woman prayed me into the kingdom of God. You're here today, and you got a mom praying for you? This would be a good time to receive Jesus, because God listens to your mom. <laughs> you got a grandma praying for you? Just hit your knees right now, man, because God listens to grandmas, man. That's exactly what happened. So that's where I come from. 
And here I am with you. That's why I love God. I love God because nobody in my family ever stayed married. We're going on 27 years, and it's not because I'm smart. It's not because I'm educated. It's not because I figured some stuff out. It's because when I was 15 years old, I asked Jesus to be my Savior, and he's helping me love people. Got a ways to go. My wife's here. You can ask her. I got a long way to go, but we're still in it. Why do I love God? Are you kidding? Never saw how a man should ever treat a woman. Couldn't be happily more, more happily married. There might be some other men in here that is, are as, as happily married as I am, but no more, nobody more. I never saw how a man should ever treat kids. I get my greatest joy besides following Jesus myself with my wife is to have, be a parent. This is what God does. This isn't, listen friends, this is not a book to me. This is real life to me. When I read this stuff, I go, that makes complete sense when I look at my own adventure with God. Has it been easy? Are you kidding? No way. It's never easy following Jesus. But I have had more joy. I have had more ups and downs following Jesus than anything else. And no matter how down I get, God always meets me where I am. Oftentimes through this word, this word has been an anchor to my soul. So I say to you, what would ever cause us to love God? We love God because he first loved us. Now, I have a challenge for you. Um, I think in your bulletin, and I'm going to see right here, I think in your bulletin is a little card, yes. You should have one of these. If not, there's some over there when you leave. I would like everybody to grab their little card, and if you have the slide of the Disciple Maker's Prayer, I would love it if you would put it up there right now. I'm going to close with this challenge, but let me show you what you have. Um, you have a thing called the Disciple Maker's Prayer. What if all of life was a missions trip? Well, I think it is. And what's the mission? Love God and love people. And if you do that well, you make disciples. It comes from seven different passages. See the seven passages at the top? So if you would like to do something with your family, you'd like to do something in your marriage this year, take some time to read these passages and try to find out where the prayer actually quotes the scriptures. But I'm going to challenge you now for the next 21 days. Yes, the next 21 days, I challenge you to carry this card with you and pray it as often as you can for the next 21 days. My kids can pray this prayer without looking at it because for years now we've prayed this prayer on them before they left for school we've prayed it around our dinner table I want to encourage you to do this let me read it to you and then I'm going to have you pray it and then Russ is going to come up and close us out uh, we'll take the offering and close out look what it says it says Heavenly Father thank you for giving me a disciple making way of life in Christ Jesus that's a quote from 1 Corinthians 4 17 as I go through every part of this day see it's not just a Sunday thing it's all time as I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with whom? Your family. It never ends with your family, but it starts there. Don't let me miss the adventures. See, I think life is, I think when you follow Jesus, everything's an adventure. Some of it's a scary adventure, but it's an adventure nonetheless. Don't let me miss the adventures you're sending my way to live and speak the good news. If you live, if you love God and love people, eventually you always get it. And I mean this. I, don't, I can't think of a single time when you haven't had a chance to speak about it. But you've got to lead with the love. You've got to lead with the love of God and love of people. And when you do that, people want to know what makes you tick, and you get to speak about Jesus too.
Draw my heart, look at as we go through our day, draw my heart to you, God, always to you, and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. It's just being friends to people that changes the world. Jesus chose 12, he pulled them close, and they became his friends, according to John 15. By your word and spirit, this isn't self-help, by your word and your spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you and then overflows love for people and makes disciples. And what? Who make more disciples. What's a disciple? Someone who loves God and loves people. And you multiply that over and over and over again. And that's what ad infinitum means. It's Latin for over and over again without ever stopping. It takes over the world. 2,000 years ago, Jesus discipled some people. Here we are. It takes over the world. Christianity is spreading like crazy everywhere. Not so much here, but everywhere else. Isn't it interesting? So if you'd leave that prayer up there, I want you to pray this with me out loud right now, and I want you to try to pray it from your heart, not just, um, you know what I'm saying, not just um, like recite it. And then I'm just going to walk off and... and, uh, I'm going to challenge you for the next 21 days to put this, pray it together with somebody. Pray it tonight before you go to bed. Pray it before you before you send the kids off to school. Pray it before you go to work. Pray it at lunchtime. Ready? With me, out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live, speak the good news about Jesus. Speak up. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples who make more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name, amen.